0: Hello and welcome to Episode 70 of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. Autism Goggles is a blog and website run by Maxine Cher and her son Daniel scher It's an outgrowth of their advocacy service in York, Ontario, Canada. Their efforts to enlighten people about autism have gained a huge following, not only in Canada, but around the world. Both Daniel and Maxine were diagnosed with autism. Their abilities to describe in detail how people with autism think function, and cope in a world that isn't necessarily designed for them to succeed has opened many people's eyes, and it's helping to change the way people view those with autism. Their goal is to help the so-called neurotypicals see the world the way people with autism see it, by putting on autism goggles. Now, in our last episode, we interviewed Maxine, and here in part two, we're interviewing her son, Daniel. Daniel was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome at age 10. At that point, he'd gone through a lot of challenges in school, and even after his diagnosis, he continued to face many problems in the school system. I started off by asking him to talk about those challenges and the impacts that they had on his life, as well as how he was able to overcome them.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um it, it was quite the journey. I, I was diagnosed with all kinds of things, you know, uh, ADD, ADHD, OCD, OMG, right? And, uh, and many of those things uh, sort of fell away as I got the supports that I needed. So, so school was definitely trouble for me, uh, and it, it was really hard for me to produce written work by hand. Uh, I didn't understand the social world, that kind of thing. Uh, I remember crying as a kid when my when my classmates would sing songs and things like that uh, because I couldn't stand the sounds. Uh, I had trouble with fine motor skills, so that made things like arts and crafts or um, writing with a pen and paper really hard. Uh, as the curriculum got more intense, uh, things got trickier from you know from an academic standpoint, and the speed and volume of the work was. Uh, kind of a lot which often led to meltdowns panic attacks things like that uh on the honor roll every semester, but you know it—it it might have been at a bit too high a cost to my mental health. You know,
0: right, right, yeah. Well, you know, it's—it's—it's it's, it's so surprising to me when you know the teachers or an educator will recognize. Well, yes, yes, uh, this child is having difficulties with their handwriting, and we could <laughs> offer them, uh, you know, a, ability of not doing their handwriting, but it's important to have the handwriting. I'm like, well, yeah. no, it's not. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I understand the idea that it's good to be able to write with a pen and paper if you can, but it's not like the be-all and end-all.
0: Right, right. And I mean, in my own life, uh, I the only time I ever write with a pen and paper anymore is if I don't have a device near me or if I have to sign something.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. Like I can sign my name well enough. What else do I need?
0: (laughs) Right. Exactly. So uh, what kinds of help were you able to get from school? Uh, Were there any teachers who were able to understand what you were going through and uh, give you some support that the kind of supports you needed?
1: Uh, So in terms of supports, I I did get lucky when I was in uh, when I was in school and that I had a lot of people backing me up. Uh, So, first of all, my mom had heard. I uh, didn't take no for an answer when I needed something. <laughs> she was always there there at the end of the day, you know, with a, with a Tim's in the hand for the teacher right. and, a, and suggestions and resources for how things would work best. Um, the teachers didn't know too much about autism, but uh, I, I got kind of lucky in that my teachers were mostly pretty open-minded uh, and wanted to help me do well. So eventually things usually worked out. But And for those times when they didn't, uh, my child and youth workers' advocacy and homework help worked wonders.
0: Yeah, oh, that's good. So uh, you were able to overcome a lot of the challenges, though, that you had socially in school, and then you went on to graduate uni- graduate university with an honors degree in communications, which, you know, for someone who has difficulty with communications, that's very commendable. If you could go back now to the teachers that you had back in your childhood, what would you say to them about how they were doing things in the classroom and what, uh, what they could maybe change?
1: Well, uh, like I said, my, my experience in school was pretty exceptional, uh, but... What I'd say is that we helped uh, so many families since I was 14, I do know that how fortunate that I was. So what I would say to teachers is to be open-minded and flexible. I tell them that autism is a unique and different way of learning, not a disability, and if you try to understand the way that your students learn, things can go very smoothly and they can excel. There's, a, there's no shame in not understanding autism. But there's lots wrong with blaming an autistic child for not understanding social approach or misunderstanding a question or for struggling in in physical exercises like in gym class. What often happens is that when educators see a struggle, those who don't understand autism and don't want to reach out for help will literally shame that child for being autistic, for being who they are. As long as teachers understand that they don't know everything, that it's not possible to know everything and as long as they're open to new ideas then there's not going to be much to worry about and I I also think it's important for them to teach their students that fairness is giving everyone what they need not necessarily giving everyone the same thing because there is a difference between equality and equity if that makes sense
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think sometimes some of the uh, approaches that teachers take is, well, this one child is causing all these problems for all these other kids. And why don't you flip that and say, all these other kids are actually causing problems for the one child. Why can't we fix things so that everyone, like you say, it's fair, so that everyone has the opportunity to uh, do well?
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, there's this, um, there's this, there's this little comic that I like to use sometimes when I do my workshops um, to to demonstrate the difference between equality and equity. It's these th- these three people. There's a baseball game going on on one on one side of a fence, and they're standing on the other. There's a really short person, a medium sized person, and a tall person, and they're each given one box to stand on. So now the short person he still can't see over it. Um the medium person can just see and the tall person has plenty of space. And that is equality. They all get the same box. Equity would be giving two boxes to the short person because then he can see, then the medium-sized person can see and the tall person doesn't need a box cuz he can already see. That's equity. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. And sometimes visual cues like that definitely help when uh, people are trying to just verbalize themselves through a concept and stuff like that. So that that's great. Now you've done a lot of TED talks and speeches in many places in North America and uh, other elsewhere. How difficult was it for you to start doing these speeches, and what led to your decision about getting into uh, going public and getting into what uh, many people would find a very awkward situation? anyway regardless uh, speaking in public and all that
1: well teachers it's important to note that um, teachers then and to a slightly lesser degree now have been nervous about having an autistic kid in their class and I really wanted to show them that I'm not so scary you know um, so like most people on the spectrum I'm I'm also prone to getting super into anything that catches my interest. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really love playing video games and things like that. But in particular, uh, one of the things that, catch, that caught my fancy from a young age is the microphone, mm-hmm. which is strange because I was practically nonverbal besides with my parents and siblings at the time. Um, <laughs> I'm a study in opposites. Um, When I was when I was three years old, I uh, barely spoke at all. And yet when we once went to a garage sale, I found this toy microphone uh, toddled over to the middle of the driveway and a rousing rendition of blue suede shoes. Wow. Um, (laughs) Yep. Um, I put the mic down and and then I was totally silent again. Uh, It was just sort of something that needed to be explored more. Mm -hmm. And so when I was getting nervous about starting high school, my mom came up with the idea of making the idea of me making a PowerPoint presentation about my needs and uh, presenting it to my upcoming teachers. So that went over really well. And I kept doing it every semester. and eventually I started speaking at things like principals associations and doctors groups and university teacher candidates, etc. and it, it kind of grew from there. And uh, at our seminars we, we discussed the things that parents really want to know about their kids. So, so they, they get so much jargony information you know from professionals that they, they really don't know how to translate into real life scenarios. So, we tell them in layman's terms uh, why their kid may have trouble sleeping or why they lick things or why they feel the need to flap their hands and that kind of thing. We've had that we've had people tell us that they learn more in our one-day sessions than in all their years of looking for answers. So, it's really gratifying.
0: Right, right. Well, you know, it's like you say, there's so much in the medical and expert community that is so technical and so based on either medical jargon or educational jargon that it's almost incomprehensible (laughs) unless you have a degree.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what does this phrase mean? What does what does that super long word actually? How does that actually affect me? What do I need to do? Where do I go? Like that? We, 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 lay it all down in practical terms.
0: Right. Yeah. That's great. Right. So, um, you and your mom have a co-presentation that you do called what doctors don't tell you and what teachers don't know. Can you talk about that seminar and the information that you both present?
1: Right. So, so as I was saying, um, we, we, we take a lot of that really technical information and we really break it down. So we, we spend the day, or half-day, depending on how long we've been contracted for, um, talking talking about everything, about, about roughly 30 issues that tend to impact an autistic person day-to-day, everything from school to hygiene to motor skills to um, what certain elements of the diagnosis mean. We, t- we take common everyday scenarios and say okay why might this be happening why might this be happening what can i do about this we, we talk about the common anxieties that often come with not the diagnosis but um that, but that come with all of the stress of having to be autistic in a neurotypical world so so we, we really just sort of tie all that together
0: Yeah, that's great. I'd love to come see one of your uh, seminars sometime. (laughs) That'd be great. Yeah. So if you could sit down with education administrators, doctors, the people that make decisions on how autistic people are educated and treated, what would you tell them and what are they getting right and what could they improve?
1: Well, first of all, I think it's important to note that uh, I do think there are a lot of people who mean well, but to be perfectly blunt, they're usually not getting it right, as I'm sure I don't need to tell you. And, uh, and in the process, they're doing a lot of harm. Uh, the way our systems of support are set up, autistic kids grow up not believing in themselves. Uh, research out of Penn state university, recent research says that autistic children experience suicidal ideations at up to 28 times the rate of a typical kid. And, uh, In general, autistic people, autistic adults actually follow through on that nine times as often as an average person. So... I think that we really we really need to address that. Uh, in terms of the education system, we need to change our teacher degree programs so that we don't allow anyone within 10 feet of our kids without knowing what they're doing. And we need individualized curriculums tailored to each one's needs. On the medical side, many family doctors don't receive training to, to recognize verbal and cognitively capable autistic kids. They, they really, you know, they think that in order to be autistic, you you have to be like, um, like Rain Man, or like the guy from The Good Doctor, etc. Um, so people may may not be aware of the sleep issues, the gastrointestinal issues, the sensory issues, the extreme anxieties, just because you know because we can talk or something like that. Right. And so they may not be advising parents appropriately, and let me just add that the the anxiety that so many kids on the spectrum i touched on this briefly but that all encompassing anxiety not a symptom of autism like so many people think it is it's a factor of having your needs ignored and not supported so you just watch how those drastically how drastically those mental health statistics change when autism awareness turns into true understanding which will turn into actually providing the supports that we need.
0: Right. I can, I can imagine there's, there's going to be a tremendous turnaround as far as uh, the future uh, for any kind of support for kids with uh, autism spectrum disorder so that they can become part of uh, society in a much better fashion.
1: Yeah, that, that would be, um, that, that would be the goal. And, you know, not just autism, but like if we can become more accepting of all, all kinds of abilities and all kinds of differences, but maybe that's beyond the scope of our talk here today. Right. Yeah.
0: That's a, well, if we're going to wish for everything, sure. Everyone should have a million dollars and a pony too. Okay. So now you're back in university and you're working on a degree in children's media. What are your goals for the future?
1: So, um, I actually finished the, the children's media post-grad certificate last year. Oh, great. Um, and that was one of the, one of the greatest times in my life. I, I made true friends, and I learned so much about how we can send strong messages to kids. I, I actually did that program because, frankly, adults are often set in their ways. Uh, if, we, if we truly want to change understanding at a fundamental level, I, I do believe that it needs to start with kids. And so, learning to write TV shows, films, books, etc., for children with inclusive, pro-social messages about autism and other differences is the way to foster stronger bonds and better understanding so I've, I've started to create a, a pitch for a kids action show featuring an autistic lead and then I am collaborating with a, uh, a ridiculously talented il- illustrator to put together a children's picture book about how to approach and play with new autistic friends uh, we're hoping to be able to share more on that very soon I completed uh, I also completed a postgrad certificate in positive psychology Earlier this year. And in terms of uh, larger goals, right now I'm working on getting into some social work programs because uh, that'll allow me to reach such a wider audience and help even more people, I think. So successful autistic people find their strengths and capitalize on them. And uh, my goal in life is to find employment that's on my own terms, allows me to do the creative writing and speaking that I love and helps to empower the next generation.
0: My thanks to Daniel Sherstrom of Autism Goggles for agreeing to be interviewed for this episode of Special Parents Confidential. We have links to the Autism Goggles website on the page for this episode at specialparentsconfidential.com. A great way for you to connect with us is by liking our Facebook page. You can comment on this episode and share it with your friends and your status updates. We have a button that links right to our Facebook profile on our website. There are also buttons for all the other social media sites that we use. Please help spread the word about our podcast with all your favorite social media sites. And that's it for this episode of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. Thanks for listening.